Hello there and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, she's an author best known for the Christy Miller series of novels, and Robin Jones Gunn has written a nonfiction book that is designed to encourage conversation between mothers and their daughters about important topics surrounding growing up. Find out more ahead. Also, Tara Royer-Steele understands the connection between food, faith, and conversation. She runs a bakery and uses that experience to provide a stage for some spiritual material in a book that she has written. You'll be hearing her comments coming up. Plus, John Chasteen of Victory Family Church in Oklahoma City and the King's University in the Dallas area brings insight into experiencing God's wholeness by inviting Jesus to walk into those places of pain in life. And on this edition of The Intersection, Scott McNamara has the heart and giftedness of an evangelist. He has founded a ministry called Jesus at the Door and addresses issues relative to Christians sharing the gospel ahead. Also, with Halloween approaching, Glenn Stanton of Focus on the Family provides some perspective on how Christian families can approach this celebration that is known for its dark origins. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Robin Jones Gunn is a noted author whose books have been read now by multiple generations. Her main character, Christy Miller, is known for her desire to walk in godliness and purity, attributes that are important to be shared by mothers with their daughters. She has written a new book called Preparing Your Daughter for Womanhood, A Guide for Moms. From a recent Meeting House conversation, this is Robin Jones Gunn. I have so many readers of the Christy Miller books that over the years, saw Christy as a role model. And then, as you said, these readers are now grown up. They have daughters of their own, and they are still looking for role models in real life, mentors. And so I was receiving so many letters and messages from young moms saying, my daughter is growing up, and I just don't know how to enter in to a conversation with her that would really honor God as her body's changing so that she won't be afraid, so that it won't be awkward, so that it won't be something that she feels a sense of shame or confusion over. But I just don't know how to do that because nobody really talked to me when I was growing up. So I was answering letters and comments and I thought, I need to write a book that would just be here. Mom, this is a book on preparing your daughter for womanhood. Use it as a springboard for how you can enter into your daughter's life, not to just sit down and have the talk, but more importantly, to start the conversation. And that allows you to have that open channel of communication in your life. The reason I feel so passionate about it is because I did this with our daughter when she was nine, and it changed our relationship, I know, as the years went on, that she saw me as the person she could go to and ask questions of and talk to because I established early on, let let me be the one that you come to. I wanna mm-hmm. I wanna establish this foundation. What I did was I put a couple questions out on social media and said, what was your journey like as your body was changing? What was it like for you before you entered adolescence? Did your mom talk to you? Did she help you? And and then I also asked those of you who are moms now with daughters this age, 
what are you doing to really focus her on the fact that this is how God made her and that her body is amazing and what tools do you have? And then I started looking for a book that would be just for moms. There are lots of books for pre-adolescent girls that the girls, you know, a 10-year-old can sit down and read this book and learn how she needs to start using deodorant and her hormones are changing. But there were no books that I could find two years ago when I started that were specifically for the mom to say, this is how you enter in. So when I was doing my research and I'm putting the questions out on social media, I received so many replies. It took me a week Mm -hmm. to go through all the personal emails that came back. And these are women that have trusted my voice over the years because they grew up with reading my novels and reading. Many of them read uh, some of the nonfiction books I wrote, one of them being Praying for Your Future Husband. I wrote that with Trisha Goyer. And we have so many readers that have come back and said, I went through this book, I prayed, God has led in this amazing way and brought this man into my life. So now they're going through all these life stages and they're writing me these emails. And what was stunning, Bob, was that 80% of the letters, after I printed them all out and went through them, 80% had a really painful, awkward, shameful passage from childhood into womanhood and as their body was changing they were terrified and didn't know who to talk to 80 percent and this is generally you know our western society and christian circles i thought okay i not that i ever wanted to write a book like this but i had such a great experience with my daughter i can tell that story and i can help these moms because it, it really got to me at the heart level. Mm, like, yeah. who's, who's helping them? Where are the mentors? Come on. <laughs> Robin Jones Gunn here on The Intersection. Her website address is robingun.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Tara Royer-Steele. She operates a bakery in Texas. And in our recent conversation, she shared about God's work in her life, featured in the book Eat, Pie, Love, 52 Devotions to Satisfy Your Mind, Body, and Soul. From that conversation, this is Tara Royer-Steele. There's so many um, analogies in life, and of course, pie and baking is what I do. And so it's come down to, you know, you you try a little bit of this or you try a little bit of that. So you put some flour and you put some salt and you put some sugar and baking soda. And some of them taste okay by themselves, but imagine when you put them all together, they, you know, they come out to be this amazing, um, amazing pie and how, what ingredients we are pouring into our lives. And um, some of them taste good and they're not the easiest and some of them uh, don't taste so good. And, uh, but when you put them all together, you know, there's that sweet and there's that, that savory and um and even just the pie crust like imagine the pie crust is you you're the clay and just imagine pie crust is clay and that you know his fingerprint is crimped um in our life and you know everyone is so not every i can't say everyone but for most people that i've tried to you know when i share about how to make pie shells everyone or pie crust everyone's wigged out about how to make a pie crust and that grandma said it has to be this way 
And so people don't even try it. But then when we get into the process of making it, you know, like just let's just try it. Let's just step out in faith and make it. And and it might not look so pretty, but man, when you like put that pie crust in the in the in the oven and you put it in the fire and you pull it out, it's it's beautiful. So there's so many analogies I can talk about with pie. Obviously, you've worked in the family business. You've done your own business. There's so much about customer service, i.e. relationships. And I would imagine that's even taken to a a new level when you talk about a, a smaller city or a small town where you have a lot of people that know each other. Is is that a correct assessment? Uh, it is a correct assessment. Now, it's funny, though, you say that because recently, like, we sports have started back, and I was out on the football fields, and I was like, we do not live in a huge community. and But I don't think I've seen one of these people in my whole entire <laughs> life. So there are so many people out there in these small communities for us to still – meet and and you you said it about relationships um my dad's always said this that you know we're not in the food business we're in the relationship business which makes it even harder because being in a relationship business that means that your employees the people that walk through the door they then become your friends and to be able to have those boundaries but then to still love each other um and the enemy knows exactly what to do to, you know, pit us against each other. So being, we're, being in a relational business, um, goodness, I think it's harder than just calling it the food business. I'm like, if we were just in the food business, it would be a heck of a lot easier. But being in the relationship business is the only way to make it through is with Jesus. And I would imagine that when you're in that situation with the number of people in a particular city or particular town, that when there is conflict, when someone rubs another person the wrong way, there's nowhere to hide. (laughs) Uh, Everybody knows. (laughs) Or, you know, I don't have anyone to talk to because everybody knows or, you know, (laughs) they don't know the whole story. All those fun things. Well, they can they can actually employ a relationship skill that you cover in this book, Eat, Pie, Love. And that is really recognizing the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Because as you set out to make peace, it's important that you really know how to do that and build that. So talk about that whole concept of peacekeeper versus peacemaker. I really always thought like you're supposed to be a keeper, not a maker. Um, I really don't know that. And I've only learned this in the last four or five years, like what the difference is. Um, so I was always a keeper and just like, I thought, you know, just make everybody happy. Well, first off, I can't make everybody happy. Even, even pie can't make everybody happy. Tara Royer Steele here on the intersection. You can find her online at Tara Royer, R-O-Y-E-R, Steele, with an E on the end, TaraRoyerSteele.com. Well, John Chastine is president of the King's University in South Lake, Texas, and lead pastor at Victory Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. In a recent conversation, he related concepts that he explores in his book called Half the Battle, Healing Your Hidden Hurts. Here now from that conversation is John Chastine. God was telling them, before you ever go to battle, I want you to know that we're in a covenant relationship, that 
I want you to go through the process of circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant of Abraham, that I'm in this with you. You are not re- the world will reject you, but I, as your heavenly Father, accept you. And I think what what happens a lot of times, Bob, is that you know we go through a pain of our past. We were molested 20 years ago. We went through a divorce 30 years ago. We we had a painful situation happen that years ago. And like the Israelites, we have been removed from that situation. But in some way, the situation still remains in us and that God wants to take us through this process on the banks of the Jordan River and go through one of the bloodiest battles we will ever fight and allow God to circumcise our hearts and take out his scalpel, which we know in Hebrews is the word of God. It's sharper than any two edged sword. And he wants to cut away and circumcise our hearts and cut away the painful things from our past so that then we can go fight Jericho. We can go fight the battle. Before the walls of Jericho ever fell, the walls of their hearts had to fall first. And I think that God wants us each to take this process of examining our own hearts and seeing what is residing within us that needs to be cut away and healed so that we can go fight the other half of the battle. How can people actually kind of make that connection to see that, well, what I'm, you know, what I'm going through now maybe is being driven by something that I went through then, maybe even before someone accepted the Lord? Yeah, I think it's this process of, you know, asking the Holy Spirit, asking the Lord to help us. You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit brings all things to our remembrance. And so sometimes it's as simple as asking the Father, is there something in me that's causing me is there the fruit that I'm experiencing in my marriage, the, the constant bickering and fighting and having with my spouse. Is there something in me from my past that's causing me to go through this process and this journey? And it's this idea of allowing Jesus to visit this place of our pain. And I found this beautiful illustration and parallel from that story to the new Testament. And that, that scripture I referenced that says today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. The very next sentence says, and that place is called Gilgal to this day. If you look up the meaning of the word Gilgal in Hebrew, it means a circular stone. And so it says, today I've rolled away the reproach, and we're going to call it a circular stone. And so my mind went to the New Testament of when have I seen a circular stone rolled mm-hmm. away? But well, we know Jesus immediately. We know that one. But I, then I thought of Lazarus, and then God began to show me this beautiful illustration of the story of Lazarus and how we are Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were devastated. They felt rejected by Jesus. Jesus was supposed to come and heal their brother, but he didn't. He didn't do it. They, were, they had a pain. Lazarus died. And what did, it, what did they do with their pain? They stuck it in a dark place, and they rolled a stone in front of it. This was Lazarus, and this is what we do with our pain. It's too hurtful. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to mess with it. So we shove it in a dark place in the recesses of our heart, and we roll a stone in front of it. But Jesus is not okay with us hiding it away because Jesus comes to Mary and Martha and he asks them, where have you put him? Where have you put Hmm. him? And Jesus comes to us and says, where have you put your pain? And if you remember Martha, Martha kind of come out with her hand on her hip and she told Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And that's how it can feel with our pain. If Jesus, where were you when I got molested? Where were you when I went through this divorce? Where were you when I, when, when I lost him to cancer and Jesus wants to come to that place of pain, and we have to escort Jesus to the stench behind the stone. Because Jesus said, roll the stone away. And Martha said, oh, Jesus, he's been dead four days. By now, there is a strong odor. 
And so this is what happens when we take rejection and pain and we shove it in a dark place. It does not heal. It actually becomes infected and it stinks and we roll a stone in front of it. But, but Jesus said, I want you to roll the stone out of the way. If you'll do what you can do, if you'll escort me to your place of pain, pull off the scab, expose the wound, then I'm going to resurrect something in you that, that has, is dead. So if you'll do what you can do and roll the stone out of the way, I'll do what you can't do. And so the book is about this, this journey that, that God wants to take us on of escorting Jesus to our place of pain. And once we find our pain, what do we do with it? John Chastine here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the church's website. It's victory.church. This is The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. And you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by accessing the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. There's a link to the podcast in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's a link to video content as well, including recently added content from the Christian Product Expo Fall 2020 show in Wilmington, Delaware. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found in the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms. Look for Faith Radio Podcast. When you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, the founder of the Jesus at the Door Evangelistic Ministry, Scott McNamara, talked with me recently about how he came to know the Lord and became involved in evangelistic work. He discussed the book, Call Jesus at the Door, Evangelism Made Easy. From that conversation, this is Scott McNamara now. Honestly, I think a, a big a big birthing point was was um, it coming to Jesus through the, through the lens, looking through the lens of eternity. I think that's really what happened. You know, I know people don't like to talk about hell anymore and stuff, but, but for me, I stared it down. So I, I, I believe I have the license to talk about it. Um, and you know, uh, I came into this uh, into this world of, of knowing Christ through that lens. So there was already that awareness of man. This is what happens to people who die without Jesus. Because fr- I, I wasn't so bad. I was only doing what everybody else was doing. I didn't kill anybody. You know, I was I was harming myself. I, I wasn't you know I wasn't so bad. But I was enough of a sinner to go to hell. And frankly, you know, everybody without Christ is enough of a sinner to go to hell. And, and so when I came to know Jesus, I had that awareness. I'm like, man, what happens to people who, who don't believe in God? What happens to people who don't follow God? The truth of it is, is I believed in God. You know, I, I prayed sometimes and on occasion. It's not like I was a staunch atheist. I mean, I was somebody who, who believed in God, but I was still going to hell. So that, that kind of really marked me, you know. And, and then I just began to have this compassion in my heart. And the way I, the only way I can describe it is the more... I, the more I was held into the embrace of the father, I felt his beating heart for his wayward children it is the best way I can describe it. The closer I got to the Lord, the more I felt his, his aching heartbeat for those that don't know him. Why do you feel like that sharing one's faith in Christ can be, well, a, a difficult or daunting task? Yeah, I, I think... 
frankly, I, I feel that the devil has done a number on the church. I feel like he's convinced the church that, that they have nothing to say and that they're not qualified. Uh, I feel that we have a, a multitude of, of muzzled Christians uh, because, frankly, a lot of believers, you know, through fear or through lack of, uh, a lack of, um, I guess, awareness or, or feeling that they're not qualified, um, don't do anything because maybe they think they, they might mess it up if they do. Or frankly, a lot of the time, they just, they're just too scared. They're just too afraid and they don't know how to do it. Um, I, I don't think we've done a very good job in the church of teaching the wider church uh, to share the gospel. And I understand uh, people have these reservations and fears, but the Great Commission it wasn't given to evangelists, it was given to disciples. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. He didn't call the elite uh, a few evangelists to the side and say, the rest of you guys go and grab a Starbucks. You know what he did? He said, everyone, come, come and listen. Go make disciples of all nations. So I believe innate in every believer, there's a desire to do this. I just think that what we do is we suppress it because we're afraid. When you have people that are believers in Christ, and are, circling back to what we were talking about earlier, hesitant to share their faith, perhaps fearful to talk about Jesus to a perfect stranger. What words of encouragement could you offer and do you offer in the book? Yeah, I mean, the, the encouragement that we give is we share, we share stories of people who felt the same way, people who have been, uh, you know, muzzled, uh, people who have been bound in, in, in fear or, or, just, or just feeling inadequate or, or that they don't have skill set and sharing stories, but wh- whether it be a nine-year-old girl um, who, who prayed for a stranger who began to cry and accepted Jesus, wh- whether it be um, you know somebody uh, who just has never done this before, who was who was bound in fear, you know, uh, stories where we're sharing of real-life people who have stepped in, uh, stepped out of their comfort zone and stepped into their into their inheritance and into their de- destiny, and um, and also just trying to bring people back. Uh, to the call of God upon their lives, you know, and and the necessity and the desire uh, inside each and every one of us. You know, I don't I, I don't think I've ever met a Christian who says I I really don't want uh, to see my friends, my family, or even strangers accept Jesus. You know, I I believe every every believer really wants people to have what they have, um, and they would love to be the person who gets to play a part in that, a significant part in that. Um, you know, but often we don't do it because we're afraid. And, and even with our family and friends, you know, this is not, um, you know, I worked as a street evangelist, but I haven't done that since 2017. Um, so, um, so since then, I still share the gospel almost daily. But I do that in my own in my own sphere of influence when I'm going to the grocery store, I'm going to the gas station, friends, family, whoever it may be. And that's kind of what we're trying to awaken people to do. Scott McNamara here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to JesusAtTheDoor.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Glenn Stanton, who serves as Director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family, offered comments relative to how Christian parents can address participation in activities surrounding Halloween. From that conversation, this is Glenn Stanton now. Well, it's very, very important to use it as a teachable moment. I I think it's important for us. I mean, C.S. Lewis used to say this is like, you know, it's a mistake to pretend as if Satan doesn't exist. But it's also a mistake to pretend that he exists everywhere, you know, and and that is absolutely all powerful and, and all present. And that's just not the case. I mean, evil is evil and evil exists. 
but we don't need to fear it and we don't need to run from it. But we do need to be mindful of it and we do need to be mindful of, of where it is. And I think it's that balance. Um, I mean, you read through the Gospels. And I, I did this a number of years ago, just reading through the Gospels to say, okay, you know, what, what am I taking away from this? And Jesus himself talked about um, Satan, about demons um, quite a bit, more than, you know, many of us would be comfortable with it, it would seem like. But no, he recognized those things are real and that we do not need to be obsessed with them by any sense or, or even, you know, thinking about it all the time. But again, like Lewis said, you know, nor can we uh, pretend like it doesn't exist. And so like what we did, and, and my kids are all grown now, um, but what we did with Halloween was they went out trick-or-treating, but, you know, we had them dress up in fun ways. And, you know, we usually did the thing at our church. Um, but then also, you know, we'd, we'd walk them around and they'd go to the neighbor's doors and, and things like that. And, um, you know, if, if some houses looked too scary or, or too dark, you know, we wouldn't go to those houses. But the houses of people that we knew, you know, we would we would do it. So we didn't make a big deal about it one way or the other, but we did help our kids understand the history behind it and, you know, how some people indeed do take it too far and how that's not such a good idea. Um, but nor should we be, you know, absolutely fearful and, and you know, and necessar- unnecessarily run away from things either. And something that I know, Glenn, that you point out with respect to the, as we might say, the glorification of evil in our culture is that there has been really seemingly, and this is something I think that in the Christian community we've had to deal with for quite some time, but when we look at the, really the increase in pop culture, that is attempting to portray such things as as witchcraft or the glorification of evil as something that, well, is perfectly acceptable. It's even fun. It's, it's cool if you will and actually there are some some examples even of of companies that are illustrating this point that they are not only perfectly fine with with witchcraft but they see it as well an opportunity to profit well, no, and that's exactly right. I mean, you know, you, you have the Disney Hocus Pocus movie that, you know, has been so popular, and it and it seems like, oh, all that's just a nice, clean fun. But, I mean, no, it's not. It's it's talking about witches, which witches are real. You know, they, they do real things, and they're on the darker side of the spectrum. Um, and so we need to know that, no, that stuff is not just make-believe, and it doesn't, I mean, it help our kids understand that even though, like, you see a little, you know, a, a fellow playmate or something dress up as a witch or something like that, doesn't mean that they're bad, but that they are identifying with something that is itself bad. I mean, there there is, you know, if there's a Holy Spirit, then there is an unholy spirit, and there are servants of unholy spirits. Um, there is darkness there, and much of that, 
you know, our neighbors that live around us and the people that we interact with, they like to celebrate that kind of stuff. And we really, really should try to resist that very strongly and help our children understand that, yes, that seems like, you know, cauldrons and witches and and spells, things like innocent fun. But no, it harkens to something that is very real, that is very dark, and it is absolutely antithetical to what God stands for. Glenn Stanton here on The Intersection. The Focus on the Family website is focusonthefamily.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. Also, there's a link to the Media Center for The Intersection Podcast. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Conversations from The Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Learn more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info or when you visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.